Welcome to another edition of Now is the Time with Steve Bergson on Hebrew Nation Radio. Now is the Time is a production of MTOI, Messianic Torah Observant Israel. For more information, visit mtoi.org. Now, here's Steve. All right, so today we're in part 12. Are you covenanted part 12? And we're going to continue in the book of Joshua. We're in chapter 7. Okay, now a reminder that what we're looking at here is we've been looking at and trying to pay attention to the role and effective leadership on covenant keeping. We're going to actually take a break from that for about two seconds to go through two little pieces here in Joshua, and then we're going to go back to the leadership issues right after that. So we should be able to get through this and then continue with leadership issues. But I want to bring up some other points that came up in Joshua, starting in chapter 7 and in verse 10. And Yahweh said to Yehoshua, rise up. Why are you lying on your face? And chapter, uh, verse 11, Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. And they have even taken some of that which is under the ban, and have both stolen and deceived, and also put it among their own goods. So we have some things that are going on here, some rebellious issues going on here. But the point I want to make is this connection in the beginning of verse 11, Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant. So Yahweh's making a connection to sin and the covenant. Breaking the commandments is sin. Breaking the covenant is sin. Essentially, they're the same thing. Why? Well, because the covenant was what? Exodus 19. If you agree to do the Torah, obey the commandments, do what I say, then I will agree to take you as my people and provide the other things. So the covenant is based, is centered on Torah observance. And so that Torah observance, which is the transgression of the law, is sin. You know, 1 John 3, just we can turn there for a second, just to remind ourselves in 1 John 3. Let me go there real quickly. Because we get a definition here in verse 4. It says, everyone doing sin also does Torahlessness or lawlessness, because sin is lawlessness. And so this is really important that we understand that. So sin is breaking the law. Well, guess what? Breaking the law is also breaking the covenant, which is why I wanted to bring that connection here, because some people want to say they're covenanted and they're not Torah observant. They're not keeping the law. They're transgressing the law. And this is, you know, because I can't tell you how many churches, because we live down here in the south and you can drive any distance you want and pass 15 churches. And so, but how many of those churches are named such and such covenant church? Or Covenant Baptist Church, Covenant Pentecostal Church, Covenant... The word covenant ends up in a lot of these churches. But they're not understanding the idea of covenant. Oh, I know they think they're under this thing called the New Covenant. But the New Covenant didn't replace and do away with the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant, which was based on Torah observance... And by the way, this idea of this Old and New Covenant thing is something that, again, is a much more new concept. Based on Torah observance... The, old, the, the, the covenant that was given at Sinai, the covenant between Yahweh and Yisrael, his people, and we are reading all through the New Testament or New Covenant or the Brich Hadashah, whatever you prefer, how the people in that time, the time of Yeshua and right afterwards, considered themselves grafting into that old covenant. Because they were grafting into Israel. And that covenant was with Yisrael. And so we have to remember now, here in Joshua, we're seeing Yahweh saying, look, Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant. Not like they did one thing and a second thing. 
the first thing also did the second thing. When they sinned, they transgressed the covenant. They didn't do two things. The one thing they did, did two things. It was considered sin. Sin is a transgression of the law. And it was also considered a breaking of covenant. Because the covenant was an agreement to keep and obey the law. And so I really wanted to make sure that we brought that out here in Joshua. Because it's a really great point that you see here going on in verse 11. Now let's take that and go to chapter 23. We'll stay in Joshua. So keep that in mind when you talk to people, and please don't correct them. Their eyes are closed, their ears are closed. They don't know what you're explaining to them anyway. But realize that's part of the confusion, is that they believe that they're in a covenant that somehow is, is separate and completely divorced from the previous covenant. It doesn't have anything to do with it. It's got a whole different set of rules and regulations. Really, it doesn't have hardly any. And so, therefore, they don't have to do any of those things. This is the lie that they've been told and sold. Okay, that's not their fault. Let me be clear, because people always think I like to attack Christians or something, which is completely not true. The system I have a real problem with, because the system is lying to them and telling them in the right place when they're not in the right place. But they have been sold a bill of goods that somehow this new thing that they're in completely is different from everything that was done previously in the previous 4,000 years. And that's just not the way it works. Yahweh does not change What you see in the covenants as they progress leading up to Yeshua's time, as they are built upon an additive, more explanation and detail is added, not less. Nothing has been, you never see a covenant that says, well, you know that stuff you had to do before? Well, you don't have to do that anymore. Now here's the new stuff. But more clarity and information and detail is what's given as you go forward. The previous stuff never goes away. Why? Because Yahweh doesn't change. Whatever Yahweh tells you is right will always be right. What he says is wrong will always be wrong. But not the way Christianity has been sold it. They've been sold that all that stuff that he said was right is now wrong. And everything he said was wrong is now no longer wrong necessarily, except the stuff that we personally think is wrong, because we don't like the idea of adultery or murder or stealing and that. So we'd rather you didn't do those things. But there are people out there, I won't name their names, who are literally saying even the Ten Commandments was done away with. Mainstream television evangelist preacher. That even the Ten Commandments has been done away with. To that I would say, well then I hope you don't mind if I show up next week and sleep with your wife, steal your stuff, and then kill her. After all, those are Ten Commandment issues, and if they're done away with, why is that a problem? See, because we all know that some things are overtly obvious we are, because we are affected by them so directly. What we don't like is the stuff that affects our relationship with him. We're okay with the stuff that affects our relationship with each other. So those laws we think should stay around. We don't want people stealing from us or committing adultery with our spouses or murdering us, bearing false witness against us, coveting our stuff. But it's the relational stuff vertically that we have the issue with. Like when he says, I would rather you not eat certain things. Or I would rather you keep certain days. And observe certain things. And worship me in a certain manner, in a certain way. And I'd like you not to do what you, these, all those nations around you are doing to their gods. I'd, I'd rather you not do those to me. See, those are the things that we have issue with. We seem to still universally, even secular governments will tell you stealing's illegal, murdering's illegal, right? I mean, there's things that even the secular world can agree on are aberrant to society, not acceptable behaviors. 
So what we have here, he's saying, look, so that it's clear, and of course this is in Joshua, and they'll tell you, oh, well, that's in the Old Testament. But he's explaining to you how it works. Sin is breaking covenant. And sin is defined as the breaking of the law, the, the transgression of the law. And so we need to have this understanding. It's very important. Chapter 23 in verse 1. Okay, we're now in Joshua 23. And it came to be a long time after Yahweh had given rest to Israel from all their enemies round about, that Yehoshua was old, advanced in years. And Yehoshua called for all Israel and for their elders and for their heads, for their judges, for their officers, and said to them, I am old, advanced in years. Now notice, this does, this does go back to the whole leadership thing. He brings the leadership together. Every form of leadership, whether it's the, the priests, the heads, the elders, the officers, the judges, everybody. Actually, he doesn't mention the priests here, but everybody comes. Because he wants to make sure to give his information to the leadership, because then leadership's job is to make sure that information is disseminated amongst all the people, and is then implemented the way the head leader, in this case Joshua, desired it to go forward. See, vision is given to leader. Leader then shares that vision with the other leaders who then share it with the people. See, unfortunately we get to a time like today where everybody thinks they're individually given the vision. Oh, I've got a vision, and this is the way things are supposed to go, or this is what's supposed to happen. But that's not the way it shows up scripturally ever. You never see the general populace given a vision. Leadership is given the vision, and then that vision is shared. And then when people decide not to go by that vision, it's called multiple visions or die vision. And then you have division in the body, more than one vision. So here Joshua is sharing a vision with the leadership. In other words, by vision I mean he didn't see something. This is the way he feels the mandate that he's been given was for the people And he's about to die, he's getting old, he's passing on that mantle to the other leaders and saying, this is what Yahweh has told me, this is where you're supposed to be going. He says to the officers, etc., all those leaders, I am old and advanced in years, and you, you have seen all that Yahweh, your Elohim, has done to all these nations because of you. For Yahweh, your Elohim, is he who is fighting for you. See, I have divided to you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from the Arden and all the nations that I have cut off as far as the great sea towards the setting of the sun. And Yahweh your Elohim thrust them out from before you and shall drive them out from before you and shall, disp- excuse me, shall possess their land. You shall possess their land as Yahweh your Elohim has promised you. So he's telling them, look, there's still more work to be done. But it's all going to be okay because Yahweh is going to handle these things. And you shall be very strong to guard and to do all that is written in the book of the Torah of Moses so as not to turn aside from it from the right or the left. So he's, he's laying out the history here saying, look, you've seen what Yahweh's already done. The same Yahweh that gave you this book through Moses. He's going to continue to do these things after I'm gone if you... Do your part, which is to guard and do all that is written in the book. Why is he saying this? Because it's exactly a repeat of the covenant. If you guard and do all that is in the book, Yahweh will take care of protecting you from your enemies and and doing all the other things he's promised to do for you. So what is he reminding them? Reminding them that they're covenanted. He's saying, look, this is you guys are covenanted. You are leaders. I am not just covenanted. All of us are covenanted. And as I pass that mantle on to you, you need to be very strong to guard. Not lackadaisical, 
not putting in just a little bit of you know, half-hearted effort. You are supposed to be very strong to guard to do. I know a lot of people don't like that word when they first come into this because they were told that they don't have to do anything. Messiah does it all for you. No, we need to do. He created you as creatures to be active and participating in the whole thing that he's planned, and there's a lot of doing that he expects of us. You need to guard to do all that's written in the book of Moses, the book of the Torah of Moses, as to not turn aside from the right or left. Stay straight on the path. Now, he explains what this could look like and why we may have a problem. In verse 7 he says, So as to not go in among these nations, these who remain among you, and make no mention of the name of their mighty ones, nor swear by them, nor serve them, nor bow down to them. In other words, be aware that you are going to be tempted to imitate what you see others doing. Don't do that. He says, but cling to Yahweh your Elohim as you have done to this day. Go listen to the teaching called cling, cleave, hold fast and understand what it means to cling to Yahweh. So you're going to cling. Any of you ever watch a child with a mother and the mother's trying to move around that kid's just wrapped around that leg and that <laughs> and poor woman's dragging that kid around. That kid is clinging. She can try all she wants to pull that kid off. That child is grabbing on and holding on for dear life. That's how you're supposed to cling on to Yahweh and the Torah. Hold it tight. So it's like a, like, a, like a tug of war thing. If I came to try to pull it out of your hands, I'm up against a huge fight. You're not letting it go. Cling to Yahweh, your Elohim, as you've done to this day. So apparently they've been doing it okay for a while here. And he's saying, look, you've been doing it right up to this point, but that's because I've been here kind of guiding you and making sure that it was happening. But now you leaders, you need to continue this process. That's again bringing out the burden of leadership into the mix, the role of leadership in all of this. Leadership has a responsibility to encourage correct interaction with the Word, and then with each other, and then with the Creator. So I'm encouraging you as a leader of this group to cling to Yahweh. For Yahweh has driven out from you, excuse me, out from before you great and strong nations. As for you, no one has stood against you to this day. One man have you put a thousand to flight, for Yahweh our is he who is fighting for you, as he has promised. But remember the promise was what? Yahweh says, I promise to do all of this for you, if, that was Deuteronomy 28, if you diligently guard the commands, I will do these things, and a few of you will chase away a thousand. So Yahweh has been diligent to keep his promises. He says, and you shall diligently guard yourselves to love Yahweh your Elohim. Interesting, in verse 11, he brings in this idea of love. And we, we're, we're going to redo the teaching at some point, love in Torah, but if you go back and listen to the original one, you'll see that almost everywhere love is talked about in terms of loving each other and loving Yahweh, it's connected very closely to verses that are talking about Torah observance. Because that's what is loving. The way you love Yahweh is you trust Him and you obey Him. He says, And you shall diligently guard yourselves to love Yahweh your Elohim. But if you do turn back at all and cling to the remnant of these nations, these that remain among you, and intermarry with them, and go into them, and they to you, know for certain that Yahweh your Elohim shall no longer drive these nations out from before you, and they shall be snares and traps to you, and a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from this good land which Yahweh your Elohim has given you. 
let me stop there for a second. He says in verse 11, to diligently guard yourselves to love Yahweh. Then he tells you how that can get all messed up because you might start loving something more than him. You see, because what you love affects what you do. Who you love affects what you do. So he's saying that if you turn back from being what? Diligently guarding yourself to love Yahweh and cling to the remnant of these nations and what? Intermarry with them and go into them and they to you. Ah, now you're emotionally attached to this other group. Didn't we see that happening in the time right after Bilam and Balak? And then we get to Pinchas. Isn't that exactly what happened? They started intermarrying and they were led astray with that whole idea. We're not to intermarry with them, it says. Hmm. You know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, you can turn there for a second. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14, it says, Do not become unevenly yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? And what fellowship has light with darkness? And what agreement has Messiah with Belial? Or what part does a believer have with an unbeliever? And what union has the dwelling place of Elohim with idols? For you are a dwelling place of the living Elohim. As Elohim has said, I shall dwell in them and walk among them and I shall be their Elohim and they shall be my people. Therefore come out from among them and be separate, says Yahweh. And do not touch what is unclean and I shall receive you. And I shall be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters to me, says Yahweh the Almighty. I know a lot of you out there really are struggling to some degree with this whole idea of this marrying an unbeliever. Look, some of you can give very good counsel, I know, because you're married right now to someone who's not covenanted. We used to use the phrase straight believer, but I'd rather use the word covenanted because believer brings too much confusion because everybody believes in something. It's just that we don't always believe in the same things. I know that Paul is talking specifically about someone who believes in Torah and Messiah. When he's talking about not being unequally yoked together. And actually the word partnership is there. Isn't that what a marriage is all about? A partnering? But just to be walking together. Now if you're already married to someone. And they're not on the same page. This is not referring to you at the moment. This is referring to actively choosing to partner with those that are not walking in covenant. He's saying this is a very, very bad idea. And I know some of you are single adults who are wanting to get married again someday, wanting to be in relationship someday. Well, make this your number one thought. They must be covenanted. Because I can promise you, I can introduce you to a lot of people who are married to someone who's not and they can tell you how much that's not such a great idea. Now, they didn't necessarily marry them when they were, they were on different pages. They probably got married when they were both on the same page. And then Abba only opened one set of eyes and not the other. Why he does it, I don't know. But I can tell you that if you talk to them, they can let you know just how challenging it is to not be on the same page, not to be partnering in all things. And so let's be careful because our hearts, go back to the heart of the matter teaching, our hearts are the problem. And so what he's saying here in Joshua 23 is, if you were to go in among the remnant of the nations and they, and then intermarry and go into them and they to you, your hearts are going to be drifting in a wrong direction. They're going to have, your hearts are going to be 
focused on, your desires are going to be focused on, your desires to please are going to be focused on. Don't we see this happening also with Shlomo, with Solomon? That as he got old, his hearts were to please the many wives? I mean, after all, if you get married to someone, at least initially, I know as we get longer in marriage, sometimes it's a little bit tougher, but it should always be there, that we desire to please the spouse. And if we, still, if we can stay focused on that 15, 20, 30 years into a marriage, guess what? The marriage will still be going strong if we are trying to please each other. Now, if you're trying to please each other and in pleasing the other put you in conflict with your creator, now you've got a big problem, which is why you do not want to be unequally yoked. And this is really the problem that we have here going on here. So do not be unequally yoked. It also refers, by the way, to teaching. Yoking is a discipleship term. You would be yoked to a teacher. That's why Yeshua says, take my yoke, it's light. The yoke is the instruction, the teaching. So he says, don't be instructed unequally with unbelievers where you're now getting confused in your instruction. Look, I don't want to tell you guys to not watch other stuff out there on YouTube or listen to other teachers on podcasts or whatever it is you're doing out there, but you need to be really careful. that Those are inputs. And you can get emotionally attached to those inputs. You can really like that teacher. Oh, you have no idea the people I talk to that still have emotional attachments to mainstream Christian teachers. I'm not even talking about Hebrew roots, Torah observant, Messianic teachers. I'm talking about even still some of the mainstream teachers. Oh, but I just still love that teacher. Oh, she's so good. He's so good. Whatever. It's, it's an unbelieving, uncovenanted, unequally yoked situation. Don't do it. Because he says you need to come out and be separate. Come out from among her, my people. What is the her to come out from? Mystery Babylon and all her daughters. And by the way, Mystery Babylon still exists in the Hebrew roots, Torah-observing community. All you got to do is listen to the teachers long enough until you start hearing mainstream Mystery Babylon doctrinal positions. Can we all agree that you can still have mainstream positions and keep Sabbath, eat right, and keep feasts? See, because a lot of these groups have made those three major changes and nothing else. They moved from Sunday to Saturday. They stopped Christmas and Easter and moved to the feasts. So they do Passover and Unleavened Bread and Shavuot and Trumpets, Atonement and Sukkot, etc. And they stopped eating the unclean foods. But there's a whole lot more than that. And so the mystery Babylon is not just the mechanics. It's a thought process. It's a heart. It's an approach. It's a mindset. It's a vision. You have to understand Yahweh's vision and mystery Babylon's vision. And so which, which side are you on? Well, are you allowing yourself to be unequally yoked and with an uncovenanted person? And so here you see the fruit of it. He says, look, if you guys who are supposed to be diligent guarding yourselves to love Yahweh, back in verse 11, we're still in Joshua 23, but if you do turn back at all and cling to the remnant of these nations that remain, remain among you, and it to marry with them and go into them and they to you, know for certain that Yahweh Elohim shall no longer drive. In other words, you broke covenant. He's no, you can't expect him to do the things that he was doing when you were in covenant. Know for certain that you can no longer expect those things. 
He says, and see, verse 14, this day I'm going the way of all the earth, and you know in all your hearts and in all your beings that not one word has failed of all the good words which Yahweh your Elohim spoke concerning you. All of it has come to you, not one word of them has failed. And sometimes we focus on that more than anything else, because we're in the dispersion, which means not as much things that he promised are happening, because he promised them to corporate Israel in covenant. So he does still do some signs and wonders and miracles for us to keep reminding us that he's there. But you cannot stand on and expect all of the Deuteronomy 28 promises now because that was for corporate Israel as a nation keeping covenant. But notice what he says here. Be encouraged that you know that every good word has come upon you that he said. But also know, listen, he says, also know, and it shall be that just as every good word has come upon you, which Yahweh has promised you, Yahweh does bring upon you every evil word until he has destroyed you from this good land which Yahweh your Elohim has given you. When you transgress the covenant of Yahweh your Elohim, which he commanded you and shall go and serve other mighty ones and bow down to them, and the displeasure of Yahweh shall burn against you, and you shall perish quickly from the good land which he has given you. So he's saying, look, have as much faith and confidence and belief and trust in the good word. Have that same in the evil that he promises as well. Just like you expect him to do all the things that he promises that you want him to do that are good and take care of you and provide for you. If you break covenant, all the evil stuff. Well, that goes back to Deuteronomy 28. The first part of the chapter is all the good stuff. Second part of the chapter starts dealing with all the evil stuff. And you know what? There's a whole lot more of that than the first. It doesn't take that many words for him to tell you, I will take care of everything. However, just to get your attention, if you mess this up, let me tell you all the things that you're going to bring upon yourself. All the misery, all the suffering, because you wouldn't trust him. And you wouldn't guard his commands. He says, you need to know that just as much as you trust in the good word, you trust in eternal life coming, you trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Messiah to provide salvation to you, you trust in all the stuff you trust in that's good, you need to trust that the other side of it is just as true. See, all of us have a challenge with that because you know what? Almost all of us have dealt with employers or parents or even ministry people that have threatened a bunch of stuff and never followed through or minimally followed through. Some of our children suffer because you parents do not follow through. Or you do follow through for a small time. Well, you're going to be punished for a week. Two days later, they're not punished. Some of you, five hours later, they're not punished. They, the children know you don't mean it. What is Joshua saying here? He's saying Yahweh means it. That you need, that's part of that fear of Yahweh. He means what he says. We have awe and reverence for the fact that he means what he says with all the good stuff. But he absolutely, just as much, means every word that he says that you will bring upon yourself. That's the key. You bring it upon yourself when you do not obey him. And Joshua is saying here, look, I got no more time. I'm leaving. My time is done. But you need to know and trust and own and believe with every marrow, all the way down to the marrow of your bones, that what Yahweh says, good and bad, he means it, and it will come true. But you have a part in it. What part do you have? You have the part of staying in covenant. Because he brings that right to them right here at the, in verse 16. He says, And when you transgress the covenant, which Yahweh Rahim, 
uh, with, with Yahweh Elohim, which he commanded you, and you go into all these things, you are going to perish. He's going to boot you out of this land. You're going to lose all the stuff that he promised you, all the good stuff. See, it's all about being in covenant. Very, very important that we understand that. So when he says things like, and you shall go and serve other mighty ones and bow down to them, let's change that wording a little bit. I know it can be really challenging for us to think in terms of idolatry. Because, you, you know, you might picture this in a very Peshat, very literal way. So literally you're thinking about having something that you're going over and bowing before and doing obeisance before and you're prostrating yourself, etc. Let's make this more, like, relatable. What is it out there that you go and serve and by bow down to give authority to that's contrary to Yahweh? What is it that you go to who do you go to? Who has authority? Who have you given power and authority that you listen to and obey that's contrary to him? Those are your idols. Those are your modern-day idols. Those are your modern-day false Elohim. And by the way, that could be mom. That could be your brother. That could be your children. It could be, it could be anybody. Who do you... Fill in the blanks here. Who do you, it says, and you shall go and serve and bow down to or give authority over to and let them rule over you that is contrary to Yahweh, that is leading you or causing you to do that which is against covenant. Is it your boss? You need to examine yourself and figure out who these people might be that you have given that authority to. Stop looking at this as a literal because almost none of you live in a society that I know of where you see people generally bowing down to stone and wood and other things. We just don't have that commonly in our society today. In some countries, probably still yes, not here. So this is a hard thing to emotionally connect with or intellectually connect with because you think, well, that's not really for me because I don't really do that. Well, not literally, but what about in type? Are there those that you go to giving them honor and respect as having authority? Because I've been with groups of people who have brought me in to speak to them and then brought in others to speak to them out of mainstream Christianity and saying, well, we bring this guy in because we're very impressed with him and he's a mature believer and we can learn so much from him. And yes, and he's not keeping covenant. And so how much influence are you giving this person? Am I saying that he's not mature? No. Am I saying he's not a smart and, guy and great guy? No. But he's not teaching you covenant. He can't teach you what he doesn't do. And so you may be impressed with some people. They may hold a position of high esteem with you. Their, their opinion matters greatly to you. Are they covenanted? If they're not, you may want to reconsider the level that you give to what they say the level of power, authority, the level of influence. Otherwise, you can end up with this whole problem here of allowing them to cause you to transgress the covenant. So I want you to seriously ask yourself, do I need to maybe readjust the relationships that I have? I'm not telling you to end them, because you know you may be an influence on them as well at some point. Hopefully that could be the case. But you got to be aware of what influence they're having on you. <laughs> if you're a new one, if you're a young one in the, in the covenant, we'll call it, not in the faith, but in the covenant, if you're new to all this, 
guess what? Go back to the parable of the sower of the seed. You may not have the deep roots to handle what the others out there may throw at you. Oh, we get some people, I'm telling you right now, I don't always get to hear the full story because they disappear. But I can promise you, I'm probably right when I say this. There are people that come in or that you will meet and you show them what we're doing and they will get super excited because it's what they've been looking for. But there's no roots yet. And guess what? They have no idea how not excited their friends and family are going to be about it. And they go and they tell their friends and family, look what I just found, this great stuff, this is awesome. And their family cuts their legs out from under them and beats them down about it, mocks them and laughs at them and tells them that they're going to have to pray for them because they're they're now out of covenant, even though now they're trying to be in covenant. And you never see them again because they're not even aware of the backlash and the resistance that they're going to face when making this choice. They have no idea. We've seen that. My wife and I have seen that. That's why we almost have a running joke that if someone comes up to us after services and says, oh, I've been looking for this. I'm I'm all new and everything, but this is exactly what I've wanted my whole life. I'm so almost in tears. And we just look at each other and say, they're never coming back. Because they're going to go home and somebody's going to blow them out. Not because they're going to blow themselves out. They're going to go home because they're so excited. That's what we do. That's our natural instinct. We're excited about something we share with people. I don't care if it's a product or a book or a movie or a song or anything. Whatever it is you're excited about, you tend to go and tell everybody. But if you don't know just how much resistance you're going to get, and not only resistance, but active attack for this kind of thing, and said, what's wrong with you, you idiot? Don't you know that blah, blah, blah? You're making a mockery of what Messiah did. No, you're making a mockery by not keeping the covenant. He died because Israel broke covenant. So the solution is not continuing to break covenant. The covenant was not the problem. The people trying to keep it were the problem. Their hearts weren't right. And by the way, it wasn't that the covenant was so hard to do. They were drawn away by their hearts. Like it says here, they fell in love with other people and they were drawn by their hearts to what the other nations were doing and it was an emotional thing. See, some of you who are listening right now have children that you raised. I mean, you did a great job. You raised a mainstream Christian. You did that great job. And now they're having a brutal time hearing anything you have to say because of two things. One is you raised them fully in it. And the second thing is they're emotionally attached because that's where all their friends are. That's where their comfort zone is. And you're asking them to leave all that behind. Like Yeshua speaking to the one young man and he said, come and follow me. And he says, oh, well, I've got all, you know, everybody had excuses. What were really the excuses? I'm not emotionally ready to let go of any all these things. I'm not emotionally ready. I didn't see Abraham hesitating when he was Abram and he said, hey, Abram, you need to go. Leave everything you know behind. He just said, yes, sir. No argument. That wasn't easy. These are not easy choices. But you know, the reason you have to leave those things behind is because if you don't, you will not covenant because the world will not allow that. Your friends will not allow that. Your family will not allow that. They're going to attack you, embarrass you, shame you, whatever they need to do to get you to stay where they are. They do not want you to break free and go into that other place, that place called separated That kadosh place, that separated place. He says, come out of her, my people, and be separate. Now, that's not hard to do with casual acquaintances. 
But when you have your heart, your emotions connected, that's really tough. We've got people that come here and they still go to Sunday church. Why? I'm not picking on them. But I know they're going because emotionally, their heart's still there. Their friends, their family members, they've been there for 30, 40 years. They're now in their 50s or 60s. It's all they know. How do I then disconnect from that to just sit home and watch a screen and watch a stream like this? Well, he didn't tell you it was going to be easy, the choice. That life was just going to be, a you know... You know, a bowl of cherries and roses and every whatever you want to call it, whatever metaphor works for you. He never said that. Of course, you got a lot of guys tomorrow on the on the, all the televangelists going to tell you that. Oh, just come to Messiah and everything's just going to be, you know, diamonds in your hands and roses coming out of your belly button. I mean, whatever. I mean, they're just going to say all things are just going to be wonderful all of a sudden. He doesn't say that in here. He told the nation, if they as a nation kept covenant, they would have all that. We're in the punishment still. We are we're the ones that are being written to in John's letters and Peter's letters and James' letters. We said that we're writing to the, those in the dispersion. We're still there. The, the regathering has not happened yet, which means we're still under the second half of Deuteronomy 28, the curses. That's part of understanding covenant. The covenant had in it certain obligations by both sides. Remember we gave a definition of covenant was that on the human side, there would be an expectation of doing or not doing specified things. And that if we did and not did, or did and didn't do whatever, the specified things correctly, that there were promises attached to that we could expect to receive. That's what Yahweh said. He said, look, if you do your side of it, which is to do these things that I said to do and not do these other things I said not to do, you can expect all these wonderful blessings. That's why we say that what does Torah do? Number one, it brings blessing. Torah observance brings blessing. Now, of course, Josh was saying, you've experienced that already to the people. He said, you already know it brings blessing. But also remember, breaking covenant, transgressing covenant, it also brings cursing. And this is, you know, how many of you have had this experience where you did a lot of stuff for somebody and then they went and did something totally, maybe you would think of it as rude or offensive to you. And you think, I don't, and you're upset because you can't believe they could do such a thing to you after all you did for them. You know what I'm talking about? How, How much that hurts? How do you think Yahweh feels? All that he does for the people and then they would just go elsewhere and not, and not trust him for things and seek, seek counsel and blessing elsewhere. And he, so he says, fine, you want them, have them. But going there just brings death. You want life, you got to stay with me. That's what he says. Oh, but we seek after that other stuff so much. So much. All right, let's go now to Judges chapter 2. All right, should I say it now? Should I say I'm not going to get as far as I thought I would? Judges chapter 2. Got to get that in there at least once a teaching, I suppose. We'll get in verse 1. Okay, Shoftim, Judges chapter 2. And the messenger of Yahweh came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I led you up from Mitzrayim and brought you to the land of which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I do not break my covenant with you. Let's always remember that he doesn't break his side. Now, there are consequences if you break your side. But he's not the one that does the breaking. 
Because sometimes things start happening and people start thinking, you see this even in Israel. Well, why is all this happening to us? We didn't do anything. Well, yes, you did. You broke covenant. That's why you have the problems. And as for you, verse 2, do not make a covenant with the inhabitants of this land. Break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? Hmm. So he told them, and already they're having a problem. Therefore, I also said, I am not driving them out from before you, and they shall be adversaries to you, and their mighty ones shall be a snare to you. And it came to be when the messenger of Yahweh spoke these words to all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voice and wept. So they called the name of that place Bochim and slaughtered there to Yahweh. Then Yehoshua dismissed the people, and the children of Israel went each to their own inheritance to possess the land. And the people served Yahweh all the days of Yehoshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Yehoshua, who had seen all the great works of Yahweh, which he had done for Israel. And Yehoshua, son of Nun, the servant of Yahweh, died 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath Cheres in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gosh. And all that generation were likewise gathered to their fathers, and another generation arose after them who did not know Yahweh, nor the work which he had done to Israel, for Israel. Now here's a perfect verse to make a point that I've made over and over and over. Do you think that this generation did not have the information about who Yahweh was? Do you think that they didn't hear about and know some of the things that he had done informationally? What is he saying here? He says, this is a generation that didn't have a relationship with Yahweh. See, I always tell you that knowing thing is relational, not informational. After them, this is a generation that rose after them who did not have a relationship with Yahweh nor the work which he had done for Israel. They didn't have a relationship with what they didn't experience the things that the previous group had done. Life was already good. Things were already going forward. This is that, uh, you know, be careful in Deuteronomy 8 about be careful when you've eaten and you are satisfied and you make houses and all these wonderful things are happening for you that you forget who gave you the ability and the power to have the wealth. This is where they are. They became comfortable. Some of you whine about the fact that you're so uncomfortable. Well, actually, it's not maybe a bad place to be. No. That doesn't mean that you can't do a few things to get a little bit more comfortable, but realize that he may not spoil you with overflowing abundance because that's a place that gets most people in trouble. You become complacent, comfortable, of no need. He says that they did not know Yahweh nor the work which he had done for Israel. Then the children of Israel did evil in the eyes of Yahweh and served the Baals and forsook Yahweh Elohim of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Mitzrayim and went after other mighty ones, of the mighty ones of the people who were all around them, and they bowed down to them and provoked Yahweh. So these people who are complacent, these people who are fat and spoiled, what do they do? They start looking around them and seeing what all the fun and the things that people are doing. You know why? Because they have Physical trappings, they've got idols and temples and things that they do that we don't do for Yahweh. We don't have any visible representations that we deal with in that way. But they also want to be more socially acceptable by all these nations. And so here they are making the mistake of allowing their heart. The children of Israel did evil and they forsook Yahweh. By forsook they meant they came, they were like, I, we don't need him. 
We don't need Yahweh. We're good. We'll go and do the things that are more socially acceptable with the people around us. And they forsook Yahweh and served the Baals and the Asterites. And the displeasure of Yahweh burned against Israel. Therefore, he gave them into the hands of the plunderers who despoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around. And they were unable to stand before their enemies any longer. (laughs) We know about what happened with the northern kingdom being taken away. We know about the southern kingdom. And this is all much later. This is early on. And already they're doing the same thing. And already he's allowing plunderers to come in and people to take them away and not stand before their enemies. And so yet what we have see happening here. He says, Whenever, wherever they went out, the hand of Yahweh was against them for the evil as Yahweh had spoken, as Yahweh had sworn to them, and they were distressed greatly. <laughs> this, is the, this is the human nature. We do dumb things, we bring dumb things on ourselves, and then we get all distressed like we act like we don't know how we brought it on ourselves. So we like to blame outside sources and outside things, and we don't want to own our responsibility. For Yahweh, it says, Then Yahweh, verse 16, raised up rulers who saved them from the hand of those who plundered them. So Yahweh, now remember, we're dealing with the relationship and the roles of leadership in covenant. Where does leadership's role fit into this idea of covenant? Yahweh brought in a leader who delivered them or saved them from the hand of the plunderers. However, they did not listen to their rulers either, but went whoring after other mighty ones and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers walked in obeying the commands of Yahweh. They did not do so. And when Yahweh raised up rulers for them, Yahweh was with the ruler and saved them from the hand of their enemies. All the days of the ruler, for Yahweh had compassion on their groaning because of those who oppressed them and crushed them. Now, what do you think was actually happening here? A ruler comes in, and that ruler does what? Imposes the rule of authority. Imposes behavioral adjustments to following the commandments. The people needed that leverage being put on them. They needed to be forced to a certain degree. What do you think Yeshua was going to do when he shows up with the rod of iron? We are, we are a stiff-necked people. We do not bow to authority well. But when Yahweh raised up an authority, notice that they were fine during Yahushua's reign. Even the elders, the leaders that he trained, discipled. Let's think of those leaders as disciples of Joshua. They did fine. Then when the next generation showed up that didn't have that relationship and the discipling process was, I believe, dropped by the next generation so that there was another generation now that was not discipled properly, they start going in whatever direction they want to go because they think that they were set free from Egypt to do whatever they want. No, they were set free from Mitzrayim, from Egypt, to serve Yahweh instead of serving the Baals, the false gods, and all the other things, the Pharaoh. So he says here, so when Yahweh raised up rulers for them and was with that ruler, they were fine. He saved them, delivered them, etc. But it came to be, verse 19, when that ruler died, that they would turn back and do more corruptly than their fathers did to go after other mighty ones, to serve them and bow down to them. They did not refrain from their practices and from their stubborn way. So what is that showing you here? Oh, well, we see, this, we see this now after the fall of the Soviet Union. All of those countries that they imposed themselves on, 
all of those cultural and racial and whatever other religious things that went back hundreds of years that were pushed down by the force of rule, they popped right back up again, didn't they? All over Eastern Europe, you see this happening. All those places, even in what was called the Soviet Union, where all of those tensions that had been there for generation after generation that were quieted down and quelled during that authoritarian rule. Now, I'm not all for that authoritarian rule. I'm not trying to say, hey, the Soviet Union was a good thing. What I'm saying is when others were not there to force a behavior, the behavior came back. Why? Because it showed that the people never had any interest in changing. This goes back to something I've taught over and over again with you guys, which is it does you no good with, as parents to force your children to do things Torah-wise when they get to a certain age. You must get them to see it for themselves and make their own choices because once you no longer have the hand of force on them, they're going to go do what they want anyway. Just like it's no good for me to force you to do anything. Because I've had people come up to me and say, well, why do you let these people do this? Or why don't you? Because it doesn't do any good for me to make them do it. Now, if what they're doing is causing people a problem, I may have to ask them to go do whatever they're doing somewhere else. But I can't make them stop or start or whatever it is that they need to do. And it doesn't help anyway. Look, it's right here. The ruler, when he was there, things were fine. Why? Because he imposed his strength of power and will into that group. But guess what happened as soon as he wasn't there? As soon as he died, they did even worse than the previous generation. You see this even with Moses, right? Moses was gone for 40 days. The people started going off into their own. That's because we need leadership. But we need to then choose to be submissive to that, not have it forced on you recognize that Yah's hand, it says, when Yah raised up a ruler and was with that ruler, you need to recognize that. Can you find authority that is Yahweh is with that authority? And then choose submission to that authority and to learn what you need to learn from that authority because that's where the anointed appointed situation is. That's where the anointing is. That one who's appointed to do the things. See, what happened is you don't see Israel doing that at all. You start to see this pattern of every other king. Yahweh brought in a good one. Things got a lot better. And then as soon as that king died, the people went and did what they always wanted to do anyway. You've got to have a heart change so that you now want to do what he wants you to do. That's the problem when it says all those that were laid low in the desert, even though they were Torah observant, and they were. I'm sure for 40 years they were pretty good at keeping the Torah, but guess what? Their heart wasn't in it. They were doing it out of fear, literal fear. They were afraid to get killed. They'd seen the ground open up more than once and swallow some people up. They saw other things happen. That's not the motivator we need to have. That's only a small piece of it. That might be the initial motivator. Hey, I don't want to get zapped or have the ground open up. No, but you want to be doing this because you actually believe Yahweh's right and that he knows, and that he cares, and doing it his way is actually going to bring all those things you want. See, what happens is we keep thinking that we can find our own way to get what we want. Or maybe his way isn't happening fast enough because we don't have patience. So we're going to find shortcuts to getting what we want. Or maybe what you want isn't even good for you. Anybody ever have that experience? You went out there to get what you wanted only to find out it made life worse, not better? 
but we don't trust. And it came to be, verse 19, when the ruler was dead, that they would turn back and do more corruptly than their fathers. They did not refrain from their practices and from their stubborn way. The stubborn way being that they're convinced that I know in me. This is the same thing that you see with all those people out there saying, well, the Ruach teaches me directly. That's a, just an excuse and a lie from the pits of hell, really. I'm going to be blunt to excuse you to do what you want. The Ruach is just teaching you. So that makes you an authority unto yourself. You're not under any authority. Oh, no, I'm under the, the Ruach's authority. Which Ruach? The Ruach in man? The spirit in man? The spirit of Hasatan or the spirit of Elohim? Which is the one that's leading you? Safety is in coming under the authority of Elohim as exemplified through anointed appointments that he places to help us. And when we were under that, we flourished. When we rejected that, we were, all the curses that you see playing out here, plundered, despoiled, the hands of the enemies, destroyed, cast out. This is really a huge, huge thing. Verse 20, and the displeasure of Yahweh burned against Israel, and he said, because this nation has transgressed, listen to what the problem is, transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and as have not obeyed my voice. He explains the covenant right there again in one sentence. They have broken my covenant by doing what? Not obeying my voice. What is the covenant? I agree to obey your voice. Covenant's not like 5,000 lines of small print and all this other stuff. Now, he does give us lots of lines of print to explain what it means and what it looks like to obey his voice, but the covenant is one line. We agree to do what he says. That's it. It's really not that complex. But we're stubborn. He says, Yahweh's displeasure burned against them. Verse 21, And I shall no longer drive out from before them any of the nations which Jehoshua left when he died in order to try Israel by them, to judge them, to whether they would guard the way of Yahweh, to walk in them as their fathers guarded them or not. Deuteronomy 8.2 is right there. He said, I'm going to use these things to test them, to try them, to see whether it's in their hearts to guard the commands or not. If you are my child and you're young enough, like my children are still in that age range where they're still young enough, I can make them do anything. And I can make them not do anything. But guess what? There's going to be an age where that's not the case anymore. So unless I've taught them to have a heart for what I'd like them to do and not do, what are the odds that they're going to actually do the things that I forced them to do once they're free to do it their way? Pretty slim. But I have to get them to have a heart for it. Because some of you parents have asked me about your older teenagers. Well, you know, should I be making them come to services? I said, well, that's a tough question. We need to talk more specifically about your situation. But forcing them doesn't do any good. If they come here hating it and resenting it, they're going to be so quick to bolt as soon as they can. I'm not talking about your 12-year-old. I'm talking about your 18, 19-year-olds who may still be living in your house. Forcing them only builds up in them resentment, bitterness. Anger. So now they come here with an attitude where they're not ready to receive anything. And so forcing them doesn't do any good. And I've had parents get mad at me when I've given counsel like that because like, but, but, what do you mean but, but? This is the truth and reality. Well, don't give me the but, but. Don't you remember being 18, 19, 20? 
What, do you think they're so different than you? Look, I tell the teenagers this, and you can ask them all the time. Our generation, okay, and I'm 55 years old, so i got a good 40 years difference between them at 15 and me at 55, but I can promise you it's not that different. We're not in those kind of generations where the world is so different where when our grandparents would say, well, when I was a kid, no, you know what? Except for some electronic differences, all right, we didn't have cell phones and tablets. Otherwise, life was pretty much the same. We did the same dumb things they're tempted to do that we hope they don't. We dealt with drugs. We dealt with sex. We dealt with violence. We dealt with all the worldly things. So don't forget that your children, what they're going through, you were that. And somehow you forget what it was like when you were 17, 18, and 19. Really? Like you were such an angel. (laughs) You won't even tell your children the things you did when you were 17, 18, and 19. I promise you. Because you never told anybody except your friends who you did that stuff with. Your parents never knew. At least you hoped that they didn't, right? You thought that you fooled them. And yet you act like you don't know how quickly it was. As soon as you came out from under their authority, what did you do? You did whatever you wanted. I'm free. I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. I can do whatever I want. So when it says raise up the child, it's really trying to say and help them to have a heart for it, to understand it. This is why it's all about Deuteronomy 6 and the idea of the Vahafta, which is, and to love him. That's why I talked about in chapter, uh, earlier in the chapter when I was talking about the idea of loving him. We were reading how that was a part of it. As we were going through this, that it had to do with that this is an issue of love. But we forget that sometimes. When we're in Joshua 23. Remember we read that? It says, and to love Yahweh with all of our heart. Otherwise, we're not going to walk in the ways we're supposed to. See, it says his displeasure burned. What is fear of Yahweh really? Not wanting to put him in a place where he feels that way about us. We don't want his displeasure to burn against us. We want to have a fear of letting him down and disappointing him. In other words, crushing him emotionally. Not that he, I, you know, Yahweh would get crushed, but you understand the metaphor. Like a parent, when a parent is so upset with their child, not so much because they, they did something so bad, but they're crushed and disappointed. And the child knows the difference between how mad a parent would be because you like broke something or when you did something that so disappoints that parent, the parent is just crushed in terms of being disappointed in them. And you know as a child, all of us know what it's like to have a parent look down at you in, in that level of intense disappointment. That's the fear we need to have. Because we can very much disappoint our creator on that level. I mean, after all, he's offering us everything. Everything. And it's not like he's asking us to do anything awful. He says, if you do what I say... The things I say will keep you safe. They'll bless you. They'll change you. These are good things. It's not like he's saying, you know what? If you come over here and work for me all day, shoveling out all this manure out of the stall, I'll give you a pony. Now, that might be worth it to you, but that's awful to sit there all day shoveling out, you know, whatever you have to do, right? No, he says, I want you to eat right because it'll make you healthy. I want you to have a day of rest because that'll help you stay healthy. And give you a break from all the stress. I want you to keep feasts and celebrate with me. I want What is so bad about all this stuff? He hasn't said, I'm going to give you all this great stuff, but first you've got to do all this awful stuff first. He doesn't have anything awful to give you to do. 
It's all wonderful stuff. That's why David says it's sweeter than honey. It's more precious than gold. But that's a hard issue, isn't it? These people didn't get it in their hearts. So guess what? He says they failed the test when he says he was going to send these nations against them in order to test them to see if whether it was in their heart to guard the commands, to walk in them as their fathers guarded them or not. Verse 23, so Yahweh left those nations without driving them out at once and did not give them into the hand of Yehoshua. Wow. See, it's all about leadership. And ultimately, as you treat leadership is as you treat Yahweh. Now, how did they treat the leadership when they were under good leadership? Did they love that leadership? No. They feared that leadership. That leadership imposed the law. Guess what? Yahweh knows when you do the same with him. You're only doing it because you're afraid, not because you want to. How do we know the fruit of it? Because as soon as that leader disappeared, they did exactly what they really wanted to do. They didn't really want to do what the leader was making them do. So even though we don't see examples of it here, we can certainly extrapolate out that, that point. I think we'd be reasonably confident to say that because clearly they did it with the leader alive and it wasn't just because they loved that guy so much that they just thought they'd follow him for a while. I think it's more logical and, and believable that he imposed this nation while I'm in charge is not going to break the law. We're going to enforce Torah in this country and this nation. But as soon as he was dead, game on. We're free now. Do whatever we want. This is what we see. How do you see this in your life? You know, we don't have a cohesive nation with authority. We don't see a cohesive nation with authority. What do we see? We're under the government of whatever country we live in. The government that we live under, none of them are Torah observant. Now, there are some Torah laws in almost all governments. I mean, it's illegal to do most of the things that, you know, are secular related. In other words, human being related, like murder and stealing and etc. But we are not imposed upon to keep holy days, to eat right to keep Sabbath or any of those things. As a matter of fact, we may at some point be imposed on not to be able to keep those things. Actually, there are countries where you still can be thrown in jail for trying to keep those things. And so where are we showing our hearts? Because really in the dispersion, we show even more heart because we're actually having to choose to do this ourselves without having that structure generally. But I think that that's what MTY's part of the MTY mandate is to show people what structure can be available and can do and be a blessing to you with structure being in there in place. Of course, we don't impose that structure. It's available as a, as a tool for you that you could utilize and choose to take advantage of the fact that that structure exists. And we're hoping that that could be like a beta test and others can see how that works. Because I promise you, we did this experiment. Oh, I'm running out of time. I'll do this real quickly. We did an experiment, and you could do this experiment for yourself, all through Canada, one trip that I went across Canada. And almost everywhere I went, I asked the simple question, what's wrong in the body? And people gave all kinds of things that are wrong, behavioral things, emotional things, and all these things that people were doing wrong in the body. And I said, what's the cause of it? In other words, what's allowing it to flourish? And the answer universally, finally, by most people when they thought about it, was a lack of structure to make it stop. Without authority and structure, those things will always flourish. And so for all of you that think that we're just individuals, you know, we're all individual kings and priests now just being taught by the Ruach. Well, really? Do you see unity in that anywhere? 
Or do you see nothing but chaos and confusion in the people walking that? And by the way, all those people claiming that still call me with questions. Or they'll call other people with questions. Well, if the rock is really teaching, why do you have questions? Okay, let's stop being liars and hypocrites. If the Ruach is teaching you and that's all you need, why do you have questions? I think that's a fair question for me. I think that's a very fair point. If you're absolutely getting everything you need from the Ruach, why is it there are things that you don't understand and don't know and still have to ask questions about? Because it just doesn't work that way. Can we accept that reality? That's not the scriptural way it's set up. That's not the way the Creator made it happen. Let's pray. Avinu Malkeinu, our Father, our King, Father, we come before you, and we're just wanting to make sure that we are getting our hearts right so that we don't transgress your covenant because of the heart pulling us in a wrong direction. But if our heart can stay focused completely on you, that we can diligently guard your commands, that we would stay in covenant and all the blessings and promises would flow towards us that you have promised. Now, we do accept that not all of those apply while we're in dispersion, but we look forward to the time when they will all be poured out as you regather us together in the future. Father, we just want to thank you for your word and for all of these accounts and these stories and these events that we could read about and we can learn from and see ourselves in those things and make make ourselves aware so we don't make the mistakes of what they made and do the good things when they did well and avoid the error when they did wrong. Father, we just thank you for your word, for having it written down for us, for having those that you gave the job to keep this word alive and around so that it would be available to us today, so many thousands and hundreds of years later. So, Father, we thank you, asking that you would be with us in your mercy and compassion. Continue to be patient with us as we strive to to pass the Deuteronomy 8.2 test and also here in in Judges 2.22 that you would test us to see whether we would guard the way of Yahweh and to walk in them as our forefathers did. So, Father, we ask that you would be patient with us, encouraging us and guiding us and leading us in that direction because we don't want to see your displeasure. We want to see you smile and have you love your children as we love you. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We give you all glory and all honor in the name above all names. Yeshua, our Messiah. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to Now is the Time with Steve Berkson here on Hebrew Nation Radio. Now is the Time Radio is a production of MTOI, Messianic Torah Observant Israel. For more information, visit mtoi.org.